Welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Uh, it may be raining outside, but it's good to gather together in here with God's people. Uh, really excited to be here. I bring greetings to you from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And make no mistake, I'm glad that I live in Louisville, but it's good to be in in God's country uh, today. Uh, Anytime I can get away from those dirty birds down in Louisville and get here with the wildcats, I'm I'm glad to do that. So good good to be with you this morning. I wish my my family could be here. Uh, Zach mentioned I'm married. My wife is Carrie. We've been married for 16 years, and we have four kids Uh, One boy who's 14, and then three girls that are 12, 10, and 8. I grew up with three brothers, uh, no no sisters, so I know all about what life is like with boys, but God and his kindness has given me three girls. Uh, So I'm learning what life is like with with daughters, but enjoying that and and glad to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, we're going to be looking in Psalm 67 this morning, uh, Psalm 67, but before we, we turn there, I want to take you back with me almost 20 years ago uh, to a time when God turned my world upside down. Uh, I was, uh, I'd gone to college, this is, this is a college town, so you can know, you know how impactful and shaping uh, the college experience can be for, for a young person. I'd finished my freshman year of college and I found myself on a one-month mission trip to Southeast Asia. Uh, This mission trip, we were going to be spending two weeks in Vietnam and two weeks in Cambodia. And it was during those two weeks in Vietnam that the Lord turned my world upside down. We were were on college campuses and we were engaging people in in English. Uh, Because we were native English speakers, the goal was try to meet as many Vietnamese college students as we can, uh, start talking to them in English, and try to move the conversation to spiritual matters. So the first day we get there, I, I run into this young man who's about my age. He, he told me his name was Kevin. That was not his real name, but Kevin was the name that I could pronounce. And so Kevin and I hit it off, and a couple of days later found ourselves having lunch together in a Vietnamese cafe. Pretty quickly, the conversation went to spiritual matters. And I remember, like it was yesterday, just in passing, I said something about Jesus. Uh, and just kind of kept going in the conversation, and Kevin said, hold on a second, uh, in his broken English, he said, who? And I said, you know, Jesus, and he said, I've never heard of him. I've never heard of him, and in that moment, God turned my world upside down. You see, like, like many of you, I had grown up in the church, and I had heard that there were people around the world who had never heard of Jesus. But I had never actually met one of those people. And here I was, sitting across the table from somebody my age in a large urban city in Asia who had no idea who Jesus was. There was, there was Coca-Cola on the table. He knew about Coca-Cola. But he had no idea who Jesus was and what Jesus did for him. Uh, so fast forward a couple of years, God used that particular experience to send, uh, at that time, my wife and just our our six-month-old son, to, to leave uh, where we were living at the time in the U.S., to move across the world to Africa and later to the Middle East to work with uh, Muslims and tell them about Jesus. And one of the things that we discovered uh, 
was there were uh, millions and perhaps even billions of people just like Kevin around the world. People who are being born, they're living their entire lives, and they're dying without ever hearing the name of Jesus, without ever hearing the good news of the gospel, without ever hearing what Christ has done for them on the cross. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. It's the same question that I asked myself as I was a a 19-year-old flying home uh, from Southeast Asia, and here's the question. Have I heard the gospel when so many other people have not? Why have I heard the gospel when so many other people have not? Why was I born where I was born? Why have the events and circumstances of my life been ordered in the way that they've been ordered? Why have you, why have I, why have we heard the gospel when so many other people have not? And I think we find the answer to that question in Psalm 67. So if you have your Bible, I want to read for us from Psalm 67. God's word says, May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us, so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. There's three truths that I want us to hear from this word this morning. Three truths that I think have significant implications for my life and significant implications for your life. Truth number one, if you're taking notes, God has blessed us so that the world will know him. God has blessed us so that the world will know him. Psalm 67 is an anonymous psalm, which means we don't know who wrote it and we don't know when it was written. Some people think that maybe it's possible that King David wrote this psalm, but we really don't know who wrote it or when it was written. But what we do know is that this psalm, like many other psalms, was a song that was meant to be sung and a prayer that was meant to be prayed. Notice how the psalmist begins this prayer in verse 1. He says, may God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. So from the beginning of the chapter, we need to acknowledge what the psalmist is saying here. He's saying that God's grace is the source of all blessings and benefits in this life. The God who created you, the God who created me is a gracious God. Amen? And so the psalmist prays that God would be gracious, that he would bless, that he would make his face shine upon us. Notice the, the blessings of God here are pictured in physical terms with God's face shining on his children. The, the picture here is, is the beaming expression of a father who's giving gifts to his children. So think about a father giving gifts to their children on Christmas morning and just how happy they are to see their children enjoying these gifts and these blessings. This is the picture that the psalmist gives us of God's face here. But then we see this word show up in the the margins of our Bible, this word, selah. Now we know whenever we see the word selah show up in the psalms that the author is encouraging us as the reader to to slow down, to to pause, to, to reflect, 
on what you just read. So we see this word, sila, pause, reflect. But notice at the end of verse 1, there's, there's no period. Because the thought is not yet complete. So the author is saying, pause and reflect, yes. But don't stop, keep going, keep reading in verse 2. And in verse 2, we discover the purpose of God's blessing. So that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. So that God blesses his people so that he will be praised among all the peoples. And this is where Psalm 67 reminds us to go back to a previous promise, a previous blessing. Think about with me Genesis chapter 12. We know the story. God comes to Abraham and God makes a promise to Abraham very, very early in the Bible. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God made this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. And now the psalmist in many ways is repeating this promise. Reminding his readers of God's mission to bless the peoples of the earth. And to extend his salvation to the ends of the earth. Now this truth became very real to me not long ago as I had the opportunity to travel deep into the heart of the Amazon jungle. Raise your hand if you've ever been to the Amazon jungle. Okay, I see a, I see a hand in the back. He can, he can uh, testify to what I'm sharing with you. It's one of the most unique environments and places I've been anywhere in the world. Uh, a very aggressive environment, uh, a very challenging place to live. Uh, and so one of the things that happened was we had to, just even to get there, we had to fly in a plane from the U.S., eight hours, to one city, take another two-hour plane flight, take a 30-minute drive, then take a two-hour ride on a boat, then we had a six-mile hike, <laughs> and finally we made it to our destination deep in the heart of the Amazon jungle. When we got there, I asked one of the guys who was with us, I said, hey, so, so where are we going to be sleeping? He said, oh, we're, we're going to be sleeping in, like, hanging nets. I was like, okay, uh, why are we sleeping in the hanging nets? He said, well, we have these things here called leaf cutter ants, and they'll bite through your backpack, they'll bite through your, your bedding, they'll bite through your sleeping bag, anything like that, so we have to sleep suspended in the air. I said, okay, that's, that's fine. Uh, I said, are there any other animals out here in the jungle? He said, yeah, we have all kinds of different animals and species. We have uh, bushmaster snakes. I said, all right, what happens if I uh, get bit by a Bushmaster snake? He said, well, we'll try to get you back to the boat, but we probably won't make it. All right, wish my wife would, would have known that before I came on this trip. Uh, he sa I said, what else? He said, well, you know, we also have jaguars. I said, okay, tell me about the jaguar. He said, well, their, their jaws are strong enough to bite through a human skull. But he said, you don't need to worry about the jaguars. They only come out at night. I said, oh, so like, you know, you mean like at night when I'm hanging like a bag of meat, you know, from this, uh, this hammock kind of thing? He said, yeah, yeah, you don't, you don't need to worry about it. Um, when we went there, they told us there's all kinds of insects, wear pants. They told us to bring 100% DEET. Uh, the insects were so aggressive, so bad, they said, you need 100% DEET. So I sprayed 100% DEET all over me. Four days later, when we left the jungle, 
I had over 60 bites on my legs, and I was wearing pants the entire time. So just a very, very unique, very aggressive environment. But for me, the, the thing that always sticks in my mind from that particular trip is after a couple days, we ended up meeting up with some indigenous men who lived there, who have lived their entire lives there in the jungle. Uh, now these guys, you need to know, these guys were walking around with shorts on, no shirt. There was no deet for them, but they had no bites, no issues. Um, but they didn't speak very good English, and so we had a, a man with us who was a translator. And at nighttime, as you can imagine, in, in the uh, jungle, there's no electricity, and there's the, the canopy of trees that cover. So as soon as the sun goes down, it gets completely dark, pitch black. So we would cook our dinner over a fire, and one of the things that we would do at night is we would share stories with these men through the translator. They would tell us stories about their village and their people, and we would share stories with them from the Bible. And one of the last nights that we were there, we had the opportunity to share the full gospel story with them through a translator. And so after probably 30 minutes of sharing the full gospel story from creation all the way to Christ, explaining the gospel, there was silence for about two minutes. And you could kind of tell that, that these men's, their, their, their wheels were turning. And eventually, after two minutes of silence, one of them looked at the translator and essentially said, will you send more people to tell us these stories? Our people have not heard these stories, and they need to hear these stories. Will you send more people to tell us these stories? So when we talk about uh, the gospel being shared to people around the world, we're talking about people that live in places like the Amazon jungle. It's a reminder to us, why did God save you? Why did God save me? God has saved you. He saved me. He's blessed us so that his way may be known on the earth, his saving power among all the nations. Now, before I, I go any further this morning, I need to provide a word of caution. Uh, oftentimes, when we, when we read this text, we have a tendency to disconnect the blessings of God from the purposes of God. We have a tendency to disconnect the blessings of God from the purposes of God. You say, what in the world do you mean, Paul? What are you talking about? Well, let's be honest with each other this morning. We all love Psalm 67, verse 1, right? We can all get behind that verse. May God be gracious to us, bless us, make his face shine upon us. I don't know anybody in here who would say, I don't really like that promise or that verse. Everybody loves that. God, be gracious to me, bless me, make your face shine upon me. But verse 2 is where it all gets real. Because verse 2 gives us the reason for our blessing. So that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. And you see, this is the, this is the great disconnect. We're tempted to think that God has blessed us because for some reason we deserve his blessing. That there's something inherently good in us that God would, would bless us. And let me let you in on a, a little secret this morning. God ultimately does not need us to accomplish his mission. Now you may say, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? I've been told my entire life that it all rests on me and on my shoulders. God doesn't need us to accomplish his mission. Let me give you just an illustration to uh, give you an example. Several years ago, I mentioned I, had, I have a son. He's 14 now. I remember back when he was 8 years old, somebody gave me around Christmas time this little manger set. Uh, it was already pre-cut wood, and it was designed for a father and son to put together a little wooden manger. 
Uh, I'm not a very handy guy, but even this PhD could figure out how to put this little manger together, okay? They gave you pre-cut wood, nails, instructions, everything was there. So I invited my eight-year-old son. I said, hey, come outside, help me put together this little wooden manger. So he comes out, and he's helping me, and, you know, he's, I'm trying to hold, you know, the nail, and he's holding the hammer, and we're trying to put it all together. Now, let me ask you a question. Could I have put that manger together by myself? Yes. Would it have been more efficient, faster, and better if I had done it by myself? Yes. But I chose to include my son in the process. Why? Because I wanted him to have the joy of doing something with his father. The same thing is true as it relates to God's mission. Could God accomplish his mission without us? Yes. Would it be more efficient, more effective if he did it without us? Yes. But has he chosen to use us? Yes. And that's the good news that we see here in Psalm 67. God desires to allow us to join him in what he's doing. He's extended us an invitation to join him in his work. We're his messengers. We are his ambassadors. He wants the world to know the good news of the gospel. And he wants us to be the, the, the mouthpiece that shares that. He wants us to tell the world that the creator God of the universe sent his sinless son to die on the uh, cross for the sins of the world. And that his perfect sacrifice covered over all the sins of humanity. And that his resurrection from the dead demonstrated his power over sin and death. And that he's made salvation available to all people. So Broadway Baptist, this morning, we've been blessed, we've been saved so that we can share this good news. So that we can be a, a channel, a conduit used by God to be a blessing to the people around us. Now I know in many ways I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. This is a church that loves God, loves his word, loves his mission. But if we're all honest this morning, we all face this temp temp temptation to disconnect the blessings of God from the purposes of God. And so we need to be reminded of this truth daily, that God has blessed us so that the world will know him. Truth number two, we're going to pick up the pace. God has blessed us so that the world will worship him. Notice verses three through five. God has blessed us so that one day all the peoples of the world will worship him. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy. For you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Now, the verb to, to praise that's there in verses 3 and 5 more precisely means to acknowledge. And so the, the, the psalmist is calling the nations to, to acknowledge, to, to recognize, and ultimately to worship God. As we look at this missionary psalm, we would do well to remember the words of John Piper, who wrote in the opening pages of his missions book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he wrote these words. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Now that might strike us as strange, but it's true. The reason we do missions, the reason we engage in mission activity in the world is because there are billions of people around the world who are not worshiping the God who created them. So worship fuels mission. Mission fuels worship. The two go together all over the Psalms. And in verse 4, the psalmist gives us two reasons for the people to rejoice and to worship God. 
Number one, he says, God judges the nations with fairness. Now, this, this judgment here that the psalmist is talking about is not referring so much to God's wrath or his condemnation as much as it's referring to his right administration in the world. You could almost translate it, you govern. And the notion of with fairness or with equity conveys the idea of absolute equality. Under God's rule, all people are treated equally. No one is shown favoritism. Now, I mentioned earlier that I have four kids, and for the most part, they're, they're pretty good kids. But we know from Genesis chapter 3 that the effects of the fall extend to all of creation, and that includes my four kids. Uh, most of the time, they're good kids, but sometimes in their less spiritual moments, they want to suggest or they want to argue that I'm treating one child more fairly than another. So if you're a parent in the room, raise your hand if you've ever had your kids say, well, you're doing, you did so-and-so for them, and you didn't do that for me. You're being unfair to them, but, you know, not for me. So sometimes my kids will, will try to suggest, or as I like to say, they will in sin, you ate, that I'm being more fair to one kid than the other. And they're pretty good little lawyers, and so sometimes I'll let them come forward and state their case. Okay, tell me why I'm being more fair to your sister than I am to you. And they'll, you know, here's three reasons why you're being unfair. And sometimes they make a pretty compelling case, and I'll listen, I'll say, okay, I appreciate you sharing, that's helpful. But I will always respond to them the same way that my dad responded to me, and probably the same way that maybe your parents responded to you. I'll say, okay, that's great, but guess what? Life is not fair. So get out of my face, stop whining. <laughs> that's not true with, with God. You know, with God, he always judges with fairness. He always judges with equity. Peter says in Acts 10.34, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. When God judges, there's no consideration of skin color, intelligence, nationality, place of birth, socioeconomic status. God judges with fairness. And as a result, he's worthy of our worship. Reason number two that God is worthy of our worship is the psalmist says that he leads and guides the nations on the earth. The word translated lead or guide here is the same word that David uses in Psalm 23.3 to describe how God as our good shepherd leads us in paths of righteousness. And the psalmist here is indicating that God is sovereign over the nations. He's in control. He's leading them. He's guiding them according to his plan. I don't know about you, but whenever I see the news and I see that there's, there's war happening here or there's economic collapse happening there, it's always comforting for me to know that God is the one who's sovereignly in control of these peoples and nations. He's in control of the nations. He's leading them. He's guiding them according to his purpose, according to his plan. When we consider these truths, our natural response is worship. God has blessed us so that the world will worship him. Lastly, truth number three. God has blessed us so that the world will fear him. God's blessed us so that the world will fear him. The end of the psalm returns to the beginning with a prayer for God's blessing. And the prayer for future blessing has as its purpose that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Uh, the ends of the earth there, that language is, is figurative language talking about the people that are living at the ends of the earth. We might think of that as the, the most remote areas on the planet. Every time I, I 
see that phrase in the Bible, ends of the earth, my mind always goes to the mountains of the Himalayas. And not long ago, I had an opportunity to have a conversation with a missionary who's been serving in the mountains of the Himalayas. And I said, you know, tell, tell me about what's going on there. Tell me about your work. Tell me about the status of the church. And he said, well, you know, Paul, where we are in the Himalayas, there are um, not many people, but there are these small mountain villages. And he said, most of the people that are tucked up in these villages are Buddhists. He said, you'll, you'll go up there and you'll find Buddhist temples. You'll find Buddhist prayer flags. Uh, he's like, we're talking 14, 15,000 feet up in the mountains. He said, what you won't find is Christians, Bibles, or churches. And I said, okay, like, you know, how long have you been there? He said, well, I've been here for over 12 years. Uh, I said, okay, how long has it been that way where there's been no Christians, Bibles, or churches in these villages? And he said, as far as we can tell, all of, since, since all of creation. I said, wait a minute. He said, as far as we can tell, it's been this way in these mountain villages, not for five years or 10 years or 50 years or 100 years or 500 years or 1,000 years. As far as we can tell, there's never been any kind of sustainable gospel presence in these mountain villages. Uh, so when we think about ends of the earth, we think about these kinds of places. But it's not just these kinds of places that are out there. I think it's also referring to the, the people and places around us here in Kentucky as well. We don't have to go very far outside this building to find brokenness. Broken people, broken lives all around us here in this community. And so I don't want us to miss the point of what the psalmist is saying here. He's saying that God has blessed us for the salvation of people here and around the world. Now, I want to say something about this word, blessed. Um, it shows up all over this passage. It's, it's a word that's used all throughout the Bible. The word blessed is, is popular in our, our Christian culture, but even in our non-Christian culture uh, as well. And if you're on social media, if you ever go to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, it's not uncommon for people to post a picture or post a thought, and at the end, they'll do a hashtag blessed, right? I got a new job today, hashtag blessed. Bought a new house today, hashtag blessed. Got a pay raise or a big bonus at the end of the year, hashtag blessed. Uh, I've been guilty of it. We've all probably been guilty of it, but the question I want to ask this morning is, do we ever pause long enough and ask, why am I being blessed? Why, why am I making more money? Why has God given me the things that he's given me? Is this just something for me to sit back and soak in for myself? Or is there a greater reason, a greater purpose here? God has blessed us so that the world will fear him. Now, I asked you a question at the very beginning of our time together. I asked you the question, why have you and I heard the gospel when so many other people have not? And Christians in the room, here's the point. God in his grace and mercy has rescued you. He has redeemed you. He has saved you so that in and through you, the world will know him. The world will worship him, and the world will fear him and know him as king and lord over all creation. That's why you've heard the gospel. That's why I've heard the gospel. That's why we've been saved. That's why we've been blessed. So as we conclude, I want to share just two exhortations based on these truths. Two things that I think um, the Lord wants us to do in response to this word this morning. Number one, this prayer must be constant on our lips. 
Psalm 67 is a prayer. So let's, let's pray this prayer. It's not a, a magical prayer, but it's a, a model prayer for our lives. We can pray this individually. We can pray it corporately. We can pray it over our city, over our church. Do you realize that you can be engaged in God's global purposes every day right where you are in prayer? Every single day, getting on your knees, praying for lost people around you. God's put you in this city for a reason. He's put you in your job for a reason. He's put you in your neighborhood for a reason. Pray for the lost people that are around you. Pray for missionaries who have been sent out around the world. The the psalmist gives us a, a model prayer to pray and to emulate. So let's pray this prayer on a regular basis. This prayer must be constant on our lips. Number two, this purpose must captivate our lives. James tells us that our lives are a mist and a vapor. We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. I mentioned I have four kids, and every time I tell people that I have four kids, they say the same thing to me. They say, enjoy it, because it goes by so fast. And that's our lives. Our lives are here and they're gone. And God wants to use us for the sake of our neighbors and for the sake of the nations. We don't have time to play games with God's grace. The blessings of God were never intended to stop with us. They were always intended to flow through us. Let me be clear this morning. I I don't think everybody's supposed to move to the Amazon jungle or move to the mountains of the Himalayas. But everyone is supposed to use and leverage the blessings that God has given them for his purposes in the world. I don't know each of your stories. I don't know who you are. But I know that God has equipped you and blessed you in a variety of ways. He's given you all kinds of skills, gifts, abilities, resources to be used for his purposes in the world. And so I urge you this morning, don't waste the the blessings of God in your life. Use them for the spread of his gospel in the world. Now, if you're like me and you hear these words today, you feel a little bit inadequate. (laughs) I know I do. When I read this text... And I think through, wow, God has saved me and he's blessed me so that his way may be known on the earth. He wants to use me in that process. I I feel a little bit inadequate. I feel like I I don't maybe measure up to the standard. I feel like sometimes I may be a failure as a follower of Christ. And I would say if, if you feel that way, you're certainly not alone this morning. And the reality is, is that we alone can't do this work. In our own strength, we're we're not able to live up to this standard. But brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. Through the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live our lives for the glory of God. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing but with Christ. We can see real change in our lives, in our cities, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods. So with all of that in view, I want to ask a question for today and for the future. Broadway Baptist Church. How will you steward the blessings of God? How will you serve this city? What part, what role are you going to play in God's great commission? I want to close with a quote from a pastor who, in commenting on this text, writes these words. He says, one of the ways that God alters the course of our lives is that when we hear a portion of God's word, it takes root. And it starts to grow. And it doesn't wither. It hangs on. It revives again and again. It survives from season to season. It does something to us. We can't shake it. It holds us. 
it changes things. We can't fully explain it, but it becomes a call of God on our lives. My prayer this morning for all of us is that Psalm 67 would be that kind of text for us. That it would take root, that it would grow, that it wouldn't wither, that it would hang on, revive again and again, survive from season to season. That it would become a call of God on our lives. I want to go ahead and invite you to, to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. In a few moments, I'm going to pray. But before I pray, I want to ask each person in this room with their heads bowed to consider this question. God, in light of what I read and heard in your word today, what would you have me do in response? In light of what I read and what I heard in your word today, what would you have me do in response? For some people, it might be praying. Devoting more time, more energy to praying for people around the world. For lost people in your life. I imagine if I came to each person in this room and said, do you know any lost people? You could say, yeah, let me pull out a sheet of paper. I can write their names down. For some, it might be seizing everyday opportunities that are right in front of us. For others, it may be going on a, a short-term mission trip or going to your neighbor across the street, getting to know them. For others, it may be maybe you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Maybe you've come to church, maybe you've walked through the motions, but you've never surrendered your life to Jesus as King and Lord of your life. You've never repented of your sins and trusted in Him for salvation. I don't know what it is for you, but I would ask that you would consider and ask the Holy Spirit to impress upon your heart how you are to respond to what we've read and heard from God's Word this morning. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Lord, we are undeserving sinners. There's nothing inherently good in any of us that we deserve your mercy and your grace. But Lord, because of your grace, you have rescued us, you have redeemed us, you have saved us. Lord, and you want to use us. You've given us your spirit. You've given us your word. You promise us in the Great Commission that you will be with us always to the end of the age. We don't go out in our own strength. We go out in the strength and power of the Spirit. What a privilege, what a joy it is to join you in your work. And so, Father, we pray this morning with the psalmist. We pray, may God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.